Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Hallelujah for another Shabbat. Today, we're going to just do a good old fellowship. You know, if you have any questions or comments uh, and you want to specifically address them for me, uh, just put at Christopher in the live chat and I will I will see that. So let's do this. This is a comment that I received on YouTube. The comment was left on a video that I did not too long ago. So the video is entitled, you know, why is it that most of the early early Christian writings from 50 AD to 200 AD does not even mention the Apostle Paul? And you look at all the writings from 50 AD, I say 50 AD because that's basically when Paul uh, Paul was well established by then. He's writing his letters by then. And so 50 AD, at least, you know, most scholars believe that, 50 AD to 200 AD. I say, okay, so if Paul was such a, you know, a powerful force, and if he's the apostle to the world, you know, then why is it that most, now some do, but most do not even mention him? And amongst the some, there are Marcion and the Valentinians and the Gnostics. I mean, they love Paul. But so the question was, why is it? Just why is it? I have not received an answer to that question yet. Am I going to receive an answer to that question? Actually, I can't say I'm not. Someone actually attempted to answer that question by saying, well, maybe they didn't know him as Paul. They knew him as Saul. <laughs> uh, they didn't mention Saul either. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there was a, there was, you know, there was an attempt to answer that, but I'm, I haven't found any good answers. But anyway, the, this question, this comment was posted on that video. Apparently, this person, posted the wrong comment on the wrong video because I made another video about about uh, how uh, people use Paul's writings to legitimize Paul or to prove Paul, basically. And the whole idea is um, most Christians say that Paul is perfect. Okay, Everything he wrote is perfect. And uh, and we know that because he says so. Uh, we know that because he said that he had a revelation from God or he had a revelation from the Lord. You cannot use a person's words to prove that person. Everybody thinks they're right. Everybody claims, you know, well, Johnny, he had a revelation from God. And he said, he said thus and thus and thus. So therefore, it's perfect. Well, for, okay, I'll, I'll say, hold on a minute. How do you know that Johnny had a revelation from God? How do you know it's legitimate? How do you know it's truly from God? Well, Johnny said so. Well, of course, Johnny would say so. But apart from that, like you can't prove Johnny with Johnny. And that was my point of that video. You can't prove Paul with Paul. Apparently, this person left the wrong comment on the wrong video. But I understand this this comment is meant for a different video. So people, Mr. Enoch will tell you in another video. Okay, so he 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 mentions it's it's in another video. So why didn't you post it on that other video? Anyway, how Paul's writings? How can Paul's writings legitimize Paul? Think about it. Well, yeah, think about it. Uh, I would say Paul's writings legitimize Paul. How? My question to you is how? And you can't use Paul's words to prove Paul. He says, plus walking 10,000 miles, spreading the word. 10,000 miles? How far do you think he went? Like all around the entire world? Uh, the, around, the, around the world like is 12,000 miles. The entire world, that is. All around the entire world is 12,000 miles. So I guess you believe that Paul you know, traveled the entire world around. Um, 
yeah, so anyway, from house to house, basically establishing Christianity to Gentiles, the history is there to see and read, beware of false teachings. Yeah, beware of false teachings, but I believe your premise and your logic is false, obviously. There are a lot of people who have traveled more than 10,000 miles to spread the word, albeit a false word. Just because you travel 10,000, Paul didn't, I don't, I don't believe that Paul did travel 10,000 miles, by the way, but people today do. So does that mean that you are legitimate? Does that mean that you are a prophet of God just because you travel 10,000 miles? Of course not. Of course not. That proves nothing other than that you have the time and, and money to travel. From house to house, basically establishing Christianity to Gentiles. From house to house. Hmm. I think that could be uh, very well disputed as well. I mean, he went around the place, but establishing Christianity to Gentiles. So again, we have people who claim to be Christians who, who do the same thing. Look at Je Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? They go house to house. And as far as I know, they consider themselves to be Christians. Does that mean that Every one of them is a prophet of God and everything they write is perfect? Of course not. So this logic is so faulty. Talk about false teachings. That's a false teaching. Um, <laughs> the history is there. See and read. What I, would, what I would suggest there, Smokey Joe, that you would learn a little bit more history. How is it that the prophets were canonized? How is it that they were established? How, how did they get themselves as to be known as certified prophets? And the answer, as the history would tell you, as you like to reference history, Smokey Joe, the answer is by the Torah. Quick little history lesson, Smokey Joe. You read it, Exodus chapter 19, and throughout the Torah, actually, but especially Exodus chapter 19, we have Moses going up the mountain. We have God descending on the mountain, God speaking to Moses, great power, great glory, great displays of uh, of glory and uh, and of the the voice of god being heard all throughout israel it was to the point where they said you know don't even uh, moses go and speak to god privately because this public display of power and glory is too much for us to to handle even though they weren't even up on the mountain at all they were down in they they were off the mountain yet they couldn't take it the point of the matter is this. When Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to say, you know, please, people, please believe that I'm a prophet. He didn't have to say that. Why? Because they all saw. They were all firsthand witnesses of God speaking to Moses. So he was instantly certified. Instantly. In Numbers chapter 12, it makes it very clear. Moses is not like any of the other prophets. God speaks to him face to face, but the other prophets... God spoke to them not so face-to-face -face, um, through visions and dreams and, as, as Paul would say, through a dark glass. In other words, not very clear through riddles and all these other things, okay? Through analogies, not very clear. So how did these other prophets, for example, Hosea and Micah and Ezekiel, how did these other prophets established themselves. How did they prove themselves to be a prophet? Well, first of all, they didn't prove themselves. Okay? It was the leaders of Israel at the time that proved them to be legitimate prophets because they tested them th thoroughly. They tested them thoroughly in every 
angle that they could they could test them in every in, in on every side they were tested how were they tested using the scriptures that they knew at the time were undeniable words of god that is the torah why were they considered to be undeniable words of god why were they considered to be trusted true words of god because god delivered the torah publicly Moses didn't have to prove himself publicly. So they took the word, they took the, the scriptures, the Torah, the, the scriptures that they knew were the word of God, that were already proven to be the word of God publicly. They took those scriptures and they said, okay, Ezekiel, okay, Hosea, okay, Zephaniah. We're going to test you. We're, we're, going to, we're going to test you. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, the tests of a prophet. Do you say anything against the Torah? Do you contradict what we know to be true? What we've established to be true in authentic Holy Scripture from the mouth of God himself as per Mount Sinai? So they went through some of those writings in, in the so-called Old Testament, went through hundreds of years of testing. Actually, over a thousand years. It wasn't even until they say about two or three hundred AD, about the third century AD, before some of those writings were actually officially canonized into the canon, into scripture. That's like over a thousand years. It's like over a thousand years of testing. So they were tested by the known scriptures that came before that were already known and everybody knew. Nobody doubted it because they witnessed it. So you cannot, Moses wasn't a prophet. Moses wasn't accepted as a prophet because he came down from the mountain and, oh, uh, please, please, people, oh, p children of Israel, please, please believe me. I am a prophet. I heard from God be because, I, please believe my words. I, I did get a revelation. No. They all saw it. They all saw it. He, had, he didn't have to say a word to prove himself. You do not take a prophet to prove a You don't take the words of that prophet to prove himself. It doesn't work like that. I, use, I keep on using this, this example. I'll use it again. I remember back in the early 90s, there was that Davidic, uh, I forget exactly what the name of it is, but David Koresh there in Waco, Texas, he proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. He said that he was Jesus, and people believed him. So, well, how do you know David Koresh is Jesus? Well, because he said he is. You do not take a man's words to prove that man to be true. You take extra you take you take the known scripture, the the tried, true, proven, holy scripture to prove whether whether it's true or not, and that's the same way it goes with Paul. You cannot prove Paul through Paul. Everybody claims to be true, and and everybody like how it says even in the scriptures, I'm, you know, I'm, every man's way is right in his own eyes. Everybody's righteous in their own eyes, even the most evil of evils that have ever lived. Uh, they are right. They consider themselves to be right or else they wouldn't have done what they did. They justify it somehow. They justify it somehow. So the idea here is, Smokey Joe, I would highly recommend you learn some history. 
the history of the scriptures and how the scriptures were proven, how Moses was proven. God, pro pro God proved him himself publicly. How the other prophets were proven through the, the established scriptures, which was the Torah. That's why in, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul went to Berea, the noble men of Berea, I like to stress noble, it says honorable men. God did not have any problem with these men who proved Paul, at least tried to test Paul, what I should say, tested Paul. It's, it's not a sin to test Paul, to, to be critical of him. It's not a sin. These men of Berea did so. They they listened to Paul. They took every concept that he said, and they're like, okay, Paul, we'll hear you out, but we're not going to believe anything you say unless we see it in the scriptures ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna run everything you say by the scriptures to see if it's true or not. What scriptures did they have back then? They had only the Tanakh, only the so-called Old Testament. They had none of the New Testament. So Paul could not, he has no authority to say anything against the Torah or the Tanakh. No authority. In fact, if he does say anything against the Tanakh, he's wrong. If he does say anything against the Tanakh, he's wrong. So, Smokey Joe, I would say to yourself, man, believe, don't, beware of false teachings. False teachings that, such as your pastor who would tell you, everything Paul wrote is the word of God. Says who? Paul said the opposite. Says who? And how do you know it? It's idolatry. It's the idolatry of the Protestant canon, the 66-book Bible. And I don't believe that God is has anything to do with it. Okay, so let's go to the next uh, comment. Um, so here we are here. Fervent in Spirit Man says, Good luck on observing all the law, and hopefully it saves you. Um, this, is, this is from TikTok, actually. I believe, uh, fear, uh, fervent in spirit. Good luck on observing all the law, and hopefully it saves you. Okay, so, um, all right. So here's the deal. God is not an unreasonable tyrant barking out commands to his beloved people, who people... His, his children, whom he loves, giving them commands that they cannot obey. That is abuse. That is an unreasonable tyrant. Not just a tyrant, but an unreasonable tyrant. God is not like that. The God and Father of Yeshua, of Jesus, is the God and Father that we read throughout the Scriptures is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and is the God who created the world, is the God of Moses who gave him the law. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. The command I give you. At the end of the law, so to speak, God said to Moses something that's very obvious. I, he said, the command I give you today is not too difficult for you. Not difficult. It is so very easy to obey the law of God and to be declared righteous by God. It is extremely, it's so easy, a baby can do it. People who don't understand that simply do not understand the Torah. They don't understand the, the, law, the law of God and how it applies. It says, hopefully it saves you. Well, 
God says it does. If you do these things, you will live by them. He says this over and over again. God said it does. Even Jesus said it does. People say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, please, please tell me. This is, this is like, this is like the, the most important question. I, you know, I have one question for you, Jesus. One. They didn't literally say that, by the way. But we know that that's, what a, that's the truth because some of these people in the Gospels, they only asked him one question. They only asked him one question in all of their life. What was the question? How do we obtain eternal life? How, to, how do we get eternal life? How do we get saved, in other words? What did Jesus say? Obey the commandments. Plain and simple. Obey the commandments. That's how you get saved. He could have preached the Billy Graham gospel, but he didn't. The law of God is so very easy to obey. Thou shalt not steal. If you have a hard time obeying that, you got a problem. Thou shalt not murder. If you have a hard time obeying that, you've got a problem. It's easy. It is so very easy. Next, uh, next comment from John R.M. This is on YouTube. Uh, this is posted on that same video. Why is it that uh, most of the early Christian writings from 50 AD to 200 AD does not mention Paul? John says, brother, I could ask you the same question about Jews. Why do all these books not mention Jews? He says, P.S. Scratch that, the first 11 books. What does that have to do with the price of rice in China? Like, what in the world are you thinking, man? has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Straw man. This is like, congratulations, John R.M. So far, you, you have obtained the crown. You have obtained the prize of the greatest straw man of the week, for sure. So what? That's what I say about this. Like, so what? It, depend, it depends on how, there's a lot of different, I mean, first of all, it, it, it bears no legitimacy at all to what we're talking about. It bears nothing at all. Second of all, people understand the word Jew to mean different things, many different things. So I would ask you, what do you mean by Jew? A lot of people, some people they say, well, a Jew is just someone who is uh, part of God's people. Some people say a Jew is, is someone who's from the tribe of Judah. I've heard Benjamin Netanyahu say that a Jew is just anybody who's from Judea. Uh, there are different, many different um, translations or interpretations or definitions of Jew. Uh, again, what does that have to do with, you know, um, you know, pine trees in Africa? I don't know. What in the world is this got to do with anything? Nothing. My point is nobody, if Paul is so important, if he is the prophet of the world for, for everyone, uh, especially for the Gentiles, and, and for the Jews, too, a lot of people believe, uh, Christians, they, they actually quote Paul to preach the to preach the gospel to the Jews, too, by the way. Um, and that's another whole topic. It's like, well, some people say, well, you know, the Jews, they're saved by the Torah, but the Gentiles are not. They're saved by the gospel of Paul. <laughs> well, you've got a hard task there, Mr. Christian, because... If you're out to preach the gospel when most Christians believe that they're supposed to, uh, first of all, you better make sure who you're talking to. A lot of people have Jewish heritage and they don't know it, so you better preach the right gospel to them. A lot of people, a lot of people, they have Jewish heritage and they don't even know it. 
So before you preach the gospel to anybody, you make sure you make sure they have DNA tests, or you make sure that they know who, what they, you know, what what stock they're from. Okay, you make sure because you don't want to preach the wrong gospel to them. It's it's total lunacy. It's hypocrisy. God is not a hypocrite. He's not a double standard, double minded, two faced double laud God, okay? It's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one law establishing one righteousness for all people, according to the book of Numbers. Go on to the next comment. Johnny says, so you're saying we have to toss out the book of Acts. Never said that. Where'd you get that from? Also, because it, it clearly stated and confirmed in there by the other apostles, Paul is what he says he is. Uh, okay. This one gets the prize for, for the amount of, how much error can you, put, can you squeeze in one sentence? First of all, when did Paul say that he is anything? Uh, he, did he claim to be an apostle in the book of Acts? Did he claim? What did he claim of himself, according to the book of Acts, in the presence of the other apostles? On the contrary, when he went to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 and in Acts chapter 21, he was like, boo, wow. He was like, they didn't even, like, Paul, okay, Paul. They didn't even bother with him. Especially in Acts chapter 15, when he, like, again, if he's supposed to be the apostle to the Gentiles, don't you think the other apostles would know about it? Well, according to, according to your comment, Johnny, you're, you're saying that they actually confirmed that he is. Oh, really? In Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas and Titus and the others went up to Jerusalem to talk about what, you know, what is, what is required of the Gentiles anyway to be saved? Basically, that's what it's about. First of all, if, if, if God, if the Lord set Paul as an authority, as the authority in the matter, why would he have to escalate it to Peter and James anyway? He would have said, oh, they're, they're uh, you know, they're for the Jews, or, you know, I know better, I'm not going to go up there, and why would I go to them? They don't know. I'm the apostle to the, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. First of all, his own actions should tell you that they, that they are superior to him. Then when they got there, their actions tell you that they are superior to him. Why? Because they didn't even ask him for any advice on the matter at all. They didn't say, oh, hey, there's Paul. we're talking about the Gentiles here. We're talking about whether or not, what do the Gentiles have? The Gentiles and salvation, like, do they have to obey the law of Moses? Do they? What, what, how does this work with the Gentiles? Hey, we got Paul here. We've got Paul. Paul is, is the expert. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. Let's ask him. It was the other way around. Paul asked them. And they didn't say, oh, Paul, you, you know, uh, you know, you're, you are the apostle of the Gentiles. Uh, you know, uh, why are you asking us? Uh, hey, we're asking you. What do you think? What, what is it that the Gentiles have to do to get saved? Do they have to do all these things or one or a few of these things? What is it? They didn't give him a word in edgewise. They didn't ask him. Why? Because he doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have the authority. And they knew it. First of all, again, uh, Mr. Johnny, I never said toss out the book of Acts. 
this is the false dichotomy. Talk about false, this is a false dichotomy fallacy here. Just because I say the book of Acts should be taken with a grain of salt, which means consider, consider its source, as my, as my grandmother used to say. Consider the source. Consider the source. It's, it was written by Paul's best friend, okay? I mean, you're not going to hear much bad about Paul. Although you you do actually, but, I mean, that tells you a lot right there. When you've got somebody, when you have somebody who loves Paul so much, like Luke, writing the book of Acts, assuming that he did, uh, and he wrote stuff like about Paul, like Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 21, that's not in Paul's favor, that should tell you that the truth is probably even worse than that. The author of the book of Acts did not claim to be perfect. The book of Acts was written to Theophilus, was not written to you, was not written to me, was not written to the world, was not written to be a book in the Bible. It was written to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus. Somebody got a hold of it and copied 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 it until it finally, over the course of hundreds of years, got published into a book what they call the Holy Bible, which, which was compiled, by the way, by men and not by God. It's the fact. What I'm telling you is the truth, okay? I know bibliologists will hate what I'm saying, but it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Yes, there's a lot of good information in the book of Acts. Yes, there's a lot of, you know, uh, historicity there. But uh, you've got to look at it for what it really is. It's a, it's a book written by man, not even a prophet, not even a prophet, not even anybody who claims to be a prophet or an apostle, by the way, written by one man to another man about other men. Yes, there's a lot of truth in it. Yes, there are contradictions in it. Lots. Even within itself. I mean, the story of Paul's quote-unquote conversion. How, how many times does it contradict itself? And then you have, uh, you know, for talking about Acts chapter, 15, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Peter, make, in the presence of Paul, when Paul goes up to, again, the context is this, Acts chapter 15, men from Judea went around saying that men have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Well, Peter, uh, Paul, of course, he took uh, a lot of issue with that, and, and Barnabas was, was with him at that time. Of course, at that time, uh, uh, he, he was able to get along with Barnabas a little bit. Uh, you know, Barnabas apparently couldn't stand him after a while or vice versa. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, not too many people could could be friends with Paul. I mean, he, John Mark left him. Barnabas left him. How many people left him? In fact, Paul says all of Asia left him in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Doesn't seem to be a very, <laughs> a very popular man at that time. So um, that's the that's the context. People going around saying, no, the Gentiles have to do this have to obey these laws in order to be saved. Actually, it wasn't even in the Torah. In the Torah, it says eight-day-old male. Eight-day-old baby. Okay? Okay. But anyway, so, of course, you know, Paul, uh, he needed some extra, he needed some, you know, he needed to escalate the matter. He needed to go ask his superiors. So he went to Jerusalem. He took Titus, <clears throat> excuse me, took Titus, took Barnabas with him. He went to Jerusalem. He went before the church leaders. By the way, the Pharisees were there too. Yep. They were part of the church council. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were. They were there. 
Of course, the Pharisee says, you know, you got to obey everything all at once. You know, right now, all these Gentiles that are, um, you know, that that are that have no clue about the Torah or anything like that, just put lay it all on them right now. Of course, it's not even in the Torah that you should do that. Uh, of course, over a period of time, as you learn more, then you are expected more is expected of you. Of course, but anyway, um, Peter stands. So the whole the whole council is about the Gentiles. The whole question is, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Like, can they even be saved? Because I mean, up to that time, it's like it's like this is a Jewish thing. Like this is a Jewish thing. We got a Jewish Messiah. We've got you know. Jewish teachings. We got the Torah. We are we are going to the synagogue, to the temple, and to house to house every day. It's all Jewish. Jewish people who are coming into the kingdom every day. Then all of a sudden, the Gentiles are starting starting to pour in. It's like, what are we going to do with them? Can they? Like, what are they? How does this work? Now it's the other way around, pretty much. Peter in Acts chapter fifteen, verse seven. Peter stands up and he makes it very clear in the presence of Paul and Barnabas and Titus. In the presence of Paul, especially, he makes it very clear. He said, "You all know," and he's, he's speaking to James and the elders of the church. He's he's talking to all of the Christian leaders at that time, and he says, "You all know. You know that God called me that." By God chose me that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the gospel. Therefore, listen to what I have to say. And so Peter he 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 gives his two cents on the on the uh, on the top on the issue. He said that God called him to be to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which is true. God did call him in the Great Commission and in the vision of Peter. In Acts chapter 10. Paul was right there. Paul didn't say, Oh, excuse me, Peter. I'm I am the apostle to the Gentiles, not you. You're to the Jews. I'm to the Gentiles. No, Paul was silent. Why? Because he knew it's true. Peter's the one that God called to preach to the Gentiles. And Peter's the one with the authority. Therefore, Peter had all the authority to, to say what he needed to say and everybody else be quiet. And that's exactly what they did. Finally, James actually spoke up and laid down the four laws, which are pretty much the ancient Noahide laws at the time. Basically the same laws that Gentiles would have to obey in order to be uh, to convert to Judaism. Okay, so, I mean, that's perfect, perfect proof that the New Testament church is Judaism. If you understand the culture, if you understand what happened in Acts chapter 15, if you understand the Jewish culture in that time and that day, you would know, hey, this these Gentiles were converting to Judaism. And James and Peter were were they were facilitating that. Because there was no difference in those days between Christianity and Judaism. No difference. In fact, except perhaps, perhaps someone can say, well, you know, yeah, so the Jews, they didn't really believe that Jesus was a Messiah. Well, a lot of them did. It's like, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah or not? It's like, it's like a, a sect of Judaism. We got the way and we got the other ones. But Peter made it very clear. I'm called to the Gentiles. God chose me that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the gospel. Therefore, I have the authority to speak up here. And he did. 
Nobody, not Peter, not James, not any of the elders of the church, not even any of the Pharisees, nobody anywhere else asked Paul. Hey, Paul, you know, you know, you you are the expert to the Gentiles. How about we ask you? Nobody, nobody said that. Nobody. Peter said that God chose him that by his mouth, the Gentiles should hear the gospel. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, contradicted Peter. He said, I'm called to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. He contradicted Peter in the... Paul clearly contradicted Peter in the dumpster fire of theology that we call the book of Galatians. Again, Johnny says, you're saying that we have to toss out the book of Acts. Never, ever said that. I never, never, never even implied that. Also, let me just say one more thing. Just because the book of Acts has contradictions and has things in it that may, may or may not be true doesn't mean throw it out. Hey, Johnny, you can say something that's not true. Who does? Who never said? I mean, everybody said things that are wrong before. Does that mean we should throw everybody out? Of course not. That just means you have to be able to discern between truth and in, 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 in falsehood, okay? That's all. Well, we should trash the whole library because I found one lie in it. <laughs> no, that's a false dichotomy. It's, it's horrible. Not at all. Never would I, never did I say, toss out the book of Acts. Also, and Johnny says, also because it clearly stated and confirmed there, there, in there by the other apostles, Paul is what he says he is. Again, what does he say he is in the book of Acts? And, and how do you get that conclusion? I don't see it at all. I see the opposite. Next, um, I'm just a Paul realist. I want to be... I want to look at Paul exactly the way James and Peter looked at Paul. Exactly. That's all that I'm doing here. Okay? I have found that the vast majority of Christians, Christianity, church leaders today, worship Paul. They put Paul in an ex... They, they, it's like they, they consider Paul to be more perfect and better than Isaiah or Moses, and a lot of, sometimes even Jesus. I think that's a crime. Look at Paul for what he really is, not for what he says he is, but for what the ex, what the Tanakh says he is. Remember, Paul was Paul's letters were the first of of the New Testament writings that were written. Paul's letters were the first, okay? And so you have to test Paul's letters with the known scripture and the accepted scripture of the time, which was the Tanakh, the so-called Old Testament. If he said anything that, uh, that, that contradicted any of the other um, scriptures, the known scriptures, then Paul's wrong. Look at it this way. You go to a conservative evangelical Christian today and you ask them, you know, we got Joseph's, we got the Mormon Bible. We got the Mormon Bible, okay? Basically, from what I understand, it's it's the um, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price are basically glued on the back of, of, of the typical 66 book 
Protestant Bible. Okay, so we got the the regular, again, regular, quote unquote, regular Christian Bible, and then you got those other three books, the Mormon books, glued on the back of it. So it's all one. So they got their own Bible basically. So you go to an evangelical Christian today, and you say, "Hey, Joseph Smith, the Mormon Bible. Do you accept the Mormon? Do you accept uh, the, the the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and Doctrines and Covenants? Do you accept that as holy scripture?" I'm pretty sure these evangelical Christians would say, absolutely not. It's not Holy Scripture. You say, why do you say that? Well, because it contradicts the previous Scriptures, the previous revelations. Good. Perfect. That's the right answer. In the same way, Paul, when he wrote his letters, because he was the first to write the letter, he wrote his letters long before there was any, anything like the New Testament. The New Testament was not compiled or even called the New Testament until much later. Marcion, the son of Satan, did that, by the way. But anyway, Paul, when he wrote his letters, he cannot contradict any of the previous scriptures, which were, at the time, the Tanakh, because he doesn't have the authority to. Nobody can do that. Just like Joseph Smith cannot contradict any of the previous scriptures either because he doesn't have the authority. It's the same, same concept. I hope every one of you are getting this. So we just want to look at Paul for what he really was. Who was Paul? Historically speaking, I'm not talking about what your pastor tells you, what your, what your favorite evangelist or priest or bishop tells you. I'm talking about who, what, who was he really? And again, we have the book of Acts. I, you know, wouldn't it be good to have like four different kinds of books of book, books of Acts because like we have four Gospels. By the way, in, in the four Gospels, there's a lot of contradiction just amongst those four Gospels. A lot of things that are different. Can you imagine having four books of books of Acts uh, type uh, books that um, that are the same way? I'm pretty sure there'd be different things being said. I mean, even the book of Acts itself contradicts itself in many places. That's that's obvious. But I know a lot of people, I know a lot of evangelical Christians and, you know, uh, these kind of people, they would deny that. They have their ways to talk about it and explain it and, you know, to explain it away. Well, good luck. <laughs> anybody in their right, anybody can read it and say, yeah, this is a contradiction. Um, so that's what we're doing. We want to look at Paul exactly the way Peter did, exactly the way James did, especially James. He was the leader of the church back in those days. Exactly the way Jesus did. By the way, Jesus didn't even call Paul to be part of the 12. He could have. He didn't. Left him out. And I believe for a good reason. Because everything the Lord does is for a good reason. Okay, let's see what we have here in the next, the next um, comment. Why are you a Paul hater? Um, see, again, I'm. this is a false accusation. This is a straw man. Okay? Just because I say I want the real Paul doesn't mean I'm a Paul hater. I am a falsehood hater of the false doctrines preached about Paul. I am a hater of false doctrine 
that your pastor might tell you that every single word that Paul wrote is actually the word of God speaking to you today, which obviously it's not. I can give you proof of that if you want me to. So that right there, to begin with, is, is, is false, this, this particular gentleman here. And then he goes on. First of all, he, he, uh, he makes a false judgment of me. And then he goes on to explain that false doctrine, or fa false, false judgment, the, the straw man. Maybe because he teaches again, I think it means against, uh, the, the false doctrine that you support. The so-called false doctrine that I support is the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of the 12 disciples, the doctrine of the word, the eternal word of God as brought to us through the law and the prophets. You want to call that false doctrine? Hey, you are just blaspheming the Lord and his word. That's what you're doing. As the book of James says, you are a judge of the law. Not a good thing, not a very wise thing to do, justified by grace. By the way, you need to be justified by grace. Now, next comment. This is, I believe it's on TikTok. I got this uh, by a, a gentleman, by the, or uh, maybe it's not a gentleman, sorry, but Nick Nosh 3 says, I hope you repent and believe the gospel. Um, again, uh, you are assuming something that's not even true. I'm constantly preaching the gospel, let alone believing it. Yes, I believe it and preach it. But again, what is the gospel to this man? Is this is it the is it the is it the um, modern corrupt Christian narrative? Is that the kind of gospel you're talking about, or is it the actual gospel that Jesus preached? Is it the actual gospel of the eternal Word of God as we find in the Tanakh? Eternal Word of God, key word, eternal. Psalm one nineteen verse eighty nine. Then he says, who are you to go against the Bible? I would say, who are you to worship a man-made collection of books called the Bible? Why would you believe that? Why would you idolize that? Why would you be a bibliolater? I believe we should look at the Bible, for, again, for what it really is. I'm a realist. I want, I want, I want the truth. Man tells you falsely that... The Bible, every single word of the Bible is the word of God for you today. And of course, they're talking about the 66 book Bible canon. They're not talking about the, other, the 11 other Bible canons from the Christian church. I am against the whole idea of Bible canon. Yes. Why? Because we have evidence that Jesus is. You would say, why? How can you say that? Let me explain. In the, in the time of Jesus and in the time of all the patriarchs and prophets before Jesus, the Bible did not exist as we have it today. Okay, so the Bible today, I don't have it in front of me right now, but the Bible today is not really, it, yeah, it's one book, but it's not really one book. It's a collection of books all put between two covers. It's a collection of 66, 71, 73, 74, 81, whatever canon you go by. It's a collection of books put together in one book called the Holy Bible. Nowhere in history, no prophet, no priest, no king, no apostle, not even a believer, ever even, never even falsely 
Not even a false claim that God spoke to them and gave them a list of 66 books or 71 books or 73. No, not nowhere in history do we have any such thing. Nowhere. Why? Because God never spoke to anyone to gave them to give them a list of books to put in into a book called the Holy Bible. Why? Because he knew that if 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 he did that, it would be worshipped. He doesn't want a Bible canon to be worshipped. He is against idolatry, including bibliolatry, the worship of a book. So I'm against Bible canon. I'm not saying I'm against the individual books, all the individual books that are within that Bible canon. Don't get me wrong. I'm just against putting, building a library of books and, and deifying the library because that's exactly what the Bible canon is. Because God never did it. Jesus never did it. There's no, when Jesus walked this earth in the flesh, the books of the Bible were kept separately on different scrolls slash books. They were kept separately. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus got up to, to, to speak in the synagogue, it says that he went to the synagogue uh, as his custom was. And he always went to the synagogue. By the way, he didn't build a church. He went to the synagogue. It doesn't say they handed him the King James Bible or the Holy Bible or anything like that. It says they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Clue, everything was kept separately in those days. Jesus did not have a problem with it. That's another clue. Jesus had no problem with each book being kept separate. All 24 books of the Tanakh, which is now 39 books of the so-called Old Testament, it's the same thing, just divided up different, just divvied up. Jesus had no problem with it. He never said, oh, guys, you shouldn't have Isaiah over here and Moses over here, and you shouldn't have Jeremiah over here and, and Psalms over here. You should put Here, let, okay, you guys are out of order here. Here, get your pen, get your paper. All right, no, better than, better than that. Uh, get your quill, get your, you know, and, and sit down. I'm going to give you a list of books, and this is, this is very important, guys. This is very important. I'm going to give you a Bible canon. I'm going to list. I'm going to give you a list of books that that's, that you you are to put in the Bible. Wrong. Wrong. In fact, Jesus could have wrote a book himself. Why didn't he? Because he knew that it would be idolized. That it would be an object of bibliolatry. That's why. God could have dropped a perfect book out of the sky. His word out of the sky. He didn't. Why? For the same reason. So yeah, I go against Bible canon because it's of man, because it is conducive to idolatry. That's why. I'm not going against the individual books. I'm not saying I'm, I'm against Isaiah or I'm against the Torah or I'm against, you know, Ezekiel. No, no, no way. But I am against putting it all together and making a canon out of it, which is basically an idol. Because God never did it. Jesus never did it. It's against the word of God. And met, this is um, Fearfully Confident's uh, 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 reply here. You are going against God. Amen. Yes, you are, Nick Nash, uh, three. Amen to Fearfully Confident for saying that because that is the truth. I mean, yeah. 
Because apparently Nick Nosh, I don't know, it's either you've never heard, I don't know, maybe you've only heard a, a few set, a few seconds. Maybe you've only heard like one TikTok video that I made. You never heard me preach the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel all the time. Believe in the gospel. I'm putting great, I'm, I'm putting the most weight and the most authority on the word of the words of God as I could possibly do. Maybe you're not hearing it, or maybe you're not understanding it. I don't know. I don't know. Next comment. This is another one from TikTok, uh, responded by Fearfully Confident, um, or replied by Fearfully Confident as well. Uh, Paul said himself, they have rejected me. Yeah, uh, Revelation 2, 2. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not sure uh, what this gentleman, uh, what, he means or what he's what what the actual point he's making but um it depends on how you look at that but yeah um uh, i believe i believe you're talking about second timothy chapter one uh where paul himself said that all asia rejected him again clue clue i believe in investigative Study, okay? In in your investigation of the scriptures, we have a huge clue there. Huge. So this was written, if it was even written by Paul, because many scholars don't even believe that the pastoral epistles, like six out of the 13, almost half of all the letters that are attributed to Paul, a lot of scholars do not even believe that Paul even wrote them. It's, it's a forgery by some other unknown author in Paul's name. That's another topic. But let, let's just assume that Paul did write it, and it is legit. Even if someone else wrote it in his name, and it's still legit, then let's just, okay, so this would have been at the end of Paul's life. In, in, in fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul, or whoever wrote for him, or attempted to write in his name, whoever, uh, it sounds like he's out at the end of his life. You know, I've, I've finished the race. I've run the, you know, I've run the course. I've finished the race. You know, I'm, uh, I'm at the end of my life, so to speak. Uh, you know, this is the, this is the last days for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm ready to give up the ghost, so to say. Um, he went, his missionary journeys, a great part of the missionary journeys of Paul in his preaching and, you know, was, was throughout Asia, Asia Minor, right? So, um, it's huge. It's a huge clue when it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that all Asia denied him, rejected him. Why? You get asked the question, why? Why would all Asia? What? It's like all of like almost all of your audience, with the exception of Rome, almost all of your audience rejected you, Paul. Why? Your your gospel. Your gospel was so easy, easy. Why would they reject you? We have people with different theories. We get the theory that that before Paul was quote unquote saved, before his quote unquote conversion experience, uh, we already had the most of the twelve disciples who already were fulfilling the great commission, and of course they would, they should uh, immediately after Acts chapter two, as per the the instructions of the Lord. For those of you who are new to this. So in the end of the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, we have, you know, in, in Matthew 28, in Mark, 
uh, 16, we have the Great Commission, where Jesus met with his 12 disciples and told them, uh, go out into all the world and preach the gospel, so to say, okay? Just summarize. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That was a huge thing. Why? Because what was Jesus? Jesus was telling them to go to the Gentiles. It That in and of itself was Jesus making them all apostles to the Gentiles long before Paul was in the scene. So they were all commissioned face-to-face, -face, not some vision like Paul had, but face-to-face -face in the flesh from Jesus himself commissioned to go to the Gentiles as apostles to the Gentiles. But according to Luke, um, he said, wait first for the promise of the Father, basically. Wait, wait for the Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. Basically, wait until Acts chapter 2. Why would, why would he say that? Well, please understand, the Holy Spirit was poured out from the, from the very beginning upon, upon selected flesh, so to speak, upon God's people, upon, upon you know, the patriarchs and upon the people of Israel. That's, that's clear throughout the Tanakh. But the, the Holy Spirit was not poured out upon all flesh, all flesh being the key phrase right there, key words, all flesh, meaning Gentiles too. So in Acts chapter 2, we have the upper room experience where we have people from all over the place, including Gentile nations. We have Gentiles there and all that kind of thing. And the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh, not just Jewish flesh, not just Israel, but through, but upon all flesh. That was a new thing. So Jesus was telling his disciples, his 12 disciples, and Paul was nowhere to be found at this time. He was telling them, go to all flesh, basically. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But first, speaking in the, in the way of uh, charismatic, first, wait until the anointing of all flesh, okay? Wait until you receive the, quote-unquote, anointing for all flesh first, before you go to all flesh. I want you guys to be there. I want you guys to experience Joel chapter 2 first before you go out into all the world. That will empower you. That will help you. That will help you to understand. And, and indeed it did, right? In Acts chapter 15, talking about the Gentiles, I believe they referred to Acts chapter 2 when they talked about when we, see, we saw the Spirit of God being poured out on the Gentiles. You know? So it, it served its purpose. Jesus wanted his 12 disciples to experience Acts 2 to give them confidence and confirmation that the gospel, the same gospel, by the way, that Jesus preached, not Paul's gospel, but the same gospel that Jesus preached for the three and a half years that he was walking and talking with them and, and training them as a, as a rabbi, a teacher would train his disciples, his students, right? It was like a university program. It was like a university course, a three, four-year course. That's exactly what it was. Rabbi means teacher, disciple means student. The students were living there with at the school of Yeshua, so to speak. They got they got trained by Yeshua for what reason? So that they could go out into all the world and preach to the Gentiles the same gospel that Jesus himself preached to them. And Jesus showed them how to do it, trained them face-to-face, hands-on training in the flesh, something that Paul never had. So we have the Gentiles that, that went out, excuse me, we have the 
The 12 disciples, the vast majority of the 12 disciples, with perhaps the exception of Peter and James, who stayed in Jerusalem for a little while, at least, especially especially Peter, that went out into all the, all the world. Okay, we have, uh, I mean, church history tells us like Matthias, uh, who took the place of Judas, and Andrew went up into like Asia Minor and up, and up into that area and up into, um, you know, north of that. So theory, the theory uh, is that these disciples went and preached the gospel of Jesus to these people. And then years later, along comes Polly and along comes Polly, you know, along comes Polly, you know, and he preached his gospel. So, I mean, this is a theory. Okay. Please understand. Please, please understand. This is a theory of why um, they rejected Paul. The theory is that Paul went in afterwards. Some people believe that even the, the, the disciples went in afterwards after Paul too to clean up his mess, so to speak. Here's The theory is that Paul preached something different than James, Peter, and the rest of the disciples would preach, and Jesus preached. And, and so the people had a, there was a dichotomy there. They had to make a decision. Do, I, do we go with the, the gospel of Paul or the gospel of the 12? So the theory is they chose the 12, which everyone should, if you have a, cho a choice between Paul and the 12, choose the 12 for sure, and reject Paul. That's the theory. And Fearfully Confident uh, quotes Revelation 2.2 here, where Paul uh, speaks to Ephesus. Ephesus was the major city of Asia Minor at the time. Part of the people that, 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 that was part of the, uh, the area and part of the people that rejected Paul. Can you, can you imagine? The Ephesians, when Paul wrote to Ephesus, you know, it's by grace through faith, not, you know, this not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's the Ephesians that rejected Paul. We can say that because Ephesus, the Ephesians were part of Asia Minor. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the Ephesians were part of Asia Minor. So the Ephesians would be part of the ones who rejected Paul. And so afterwards, in Revelation chapter 2, we have Jesus saying to the Ephesians, uh, we, basically, I have this, you know, I have, you have this in your favor. You have rejected those who called themselves apostles and are not. You know, basically, Jesus gave, gave them the thumbs up. So, take it for what it is. Take it for what it is. I'm just presenting to you theories Judge for yourself. That's all I'm saying. Judge for yourself. Okay, so that's it for the comments uh, from the, the previously submitted comments on YouTube and TikTok. Let me see what we have in the chat here. Fearfully Confident asked the question, uh, could Paul really have studied under Gamaliel if he abused Torah the way he did, Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14, verses... <laughs> Romans 10 verses 6 to 8 is a prime example. For those of you who are wondering what Fearfully Confident is referring to here without going in, I'm not going to go into it right now, but yeah, so what, what Fearfully Confident is talking about here, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 to 14, it talks about how easy it is to obey the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11, God says, you know, uh, the commandment that I give you today is not is not too difficult for you. And then he goes on to explain, you know, it's not like way up in heaven that you have to basically build a, you know, 
you have to be Elon Musk to go to the highest of heavens to, uh, you know, take a rocket, you know, flight to uh, to another galaxy to get it. No, uh, it's not in the depth of the earth and you don't have to dig down. And you don't have to go down to the to the very bottom of the Mariana Trench to get it. No, it is right there. It's right in your mouth and in your heart. The, the, the word, the, the Torah, basically. Now, in every verse, uh, God said, uh, you know, don't think that it's too high that you have to go up to get it so that you may obey it. Keywords, so that you may obey it. Or it's too low, it's in the depths, it's in the sea. In, I say in the Mariana Trench. Uh, that you have to go way down to the bottom of the ocean to get it so that you may obey it. And no, uh, it is not. Um, basically, it's, it's it's right there, right, right in front of you. It's in your heart, and actually right in you. In your heart and in your mouth, the words... Uh, the words of the Torah, so that you may obey it. Now, when Paul quoted it in Romans chapter 10, he left out the, so that you may obey it. He left out that stuff. He only quoted part, the first half of that, of each verse, and he added his own words in the other half. Again, I, I'll say this. If I quoted scripture like Paul did, you guys would crucify me. Especially those of you guys who are who are against me, not so much my friends on here. But if I quote if I quote scripture like Paul did, man, would people ever be uh, you know talking about calling me uh, every name in the book? They would. So another thing is too, uh, did Paul really study under Gamaliel? Well, there's a lot of you know uh, debate and uh, I you know ideas about that as well. First of all, Paul it. In his letters, he does not say anything about Gamaliel, which is very interesting, very uh, suspicious in a way. If you were, I mean, if you if you graduated under the like the the most famous, highest regarded, you know, uh, rabbi, uh, Jewish leader of the time, don't you think that you would pretty much put that as your you know your credentials in each in each book that you wrote? Paul never even mentioned it. He never mentioned it. It's in the book of Acts, okay? But again, the book of Acts, take it with a grain of salt. That's not written by Paul. They say it's written by, by Luke, but then we have some people like, you know, for example, Dr. Price, who says that the book of Acts is actually written by Polycarp. Nevertheless, um, the book of Acts is written by an anonymous author. Most people assume it's Luke. And in the book of Acts, it says that Paul was trained under Gamaliel. Paul said in, in his own words, he said, in his letters, that he persecuted Christians to the death. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, we have Gamaliel being like the ruler of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court of the time, of that day and age. Gamaliel was faced with a case, quote-unquote case. What are we going to do with these Christians? What are we going to do with them? Gamaliel was like the... Um, the Supreme Justice of the United States of America. He, he was like the Supreme Justice of the Supreme Court. That's what Gamaliel was like, okay? What are we going to do with these Christians? He could have easily said, you know, stone them. <laughs> you know, he could have easily said anything. Persecute them to the death. He could have said that. He said the exact opposite. Think about this for a moment. He said the exact opposite opposite. He said, leave them alone. Acts chapter 5. Leave them alone. What? Yes, Gamaliel, the head of the Sanhedrin. 
leave them alone. If what they're doing is not of God, it will fail. Don't worry about it. It will fail just like any other movement failed if it's not of God. If what they're doing is of God, you guys are fighting against God and you don't want to do that. So just leave them alone. So what did Paul do? He did the exact opposite of leaving them alone. To the extreme, in his own words, I persecuted Christians to the death. Somebody might ask, was Paul really a disciple of Gamaliel? If so, why did he so, why was there such a stark, why did he not listen to Gamaliel? How can you have, be a disciple of somebody if you're not listening to them? How can you be a student of a teacher if you're not listening to the teacher? How can you be a, a servant of the master if you're not listening to the master? If you do the exact opposite, how does that work? And then we have, again, I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing. And then we have the fact that Paul misquoted the Tanakh so much. He misquoted the Jewish, the, the Hebrew scriptures so much. And mo a lot of the times you, you, you can see that um, you know, evidence, evidence proves that he quoted from the Septuagint more so than the Hebrew. And the way he defined the word seed versus seeds in, in Galatians chapter 3 is just, it's just totally ridiculous because there is no such thing as seeds in the Hebrew uh, when it comes to, uh, when it's talking about descendants. It's always seed, zerah, not never zeraim. It's, that's improper Hebrew to say zeraim, to say seeds, just like it's improper English to say sheeps. It's always sheep. It's plural. It's like saying mices. <laughs> How many mices do you have? Computer mice. You know, um, it's, yeah, it's improper. And so a lot of people say, hey, this proves that Paul didn't know his Hebrew very much. If he did, why did he say what he's, why would he say this? Why would he, why would he quote from the Greek Bible instead of the Hebrew Bible? Why would he so seriously mis, uh, you know, misunderstand the Hebrew word Zerah. He's not Saul from Jerusalem, okay? He's Saul from Tarsus, a Greco-Roman city. So, yeah, um, and the fact that uh, there are Pharisees today. I mean, um, you know, several months ago, we had uh, Rabbi Singer on here. He said that he's a Pharisee. I know there's a brother that is on uh, TikTok there that 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 has co that commonly quotes on my videos. He says very very blatantly, he says I'm a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees do not persecute Christians like that. Pharisees do not persecute the Christians unto death. Where in the Torah does it say to stone Christians? Where? So that's another reason why a lot of people don't, don't believe that Paul was a Pharisee or that he was a student of Gamaliel. I'm just saying, okay, please understand me. I'm just laying out all the chips. I'm just saying, hey, this is what we have in front of us. You judge. You be the judge. HP, did you Gentiles become Jews slash Israelites, spiritually speaking, when they repent and return to the Lord? Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, they do. 
Also, what is the point slash purpose of conversion if you are Torah observant? Yeah, if you're Torah observant, there would be no need for for conversion. I'm not, I'm not sure what would that, uh, you know, that, I'm not sure what you, um, what you mean by conversion. Yeah, not sure. I mean, if you're already uh, observing the Torah, if you're already in line with the Torah, there'd be no, uh, there'd be no need for con conversion for sure. Hebrew Messianic Israel, I always say, please, instead of, Instead of quoting, like instead of referencing, because uh, you know it, it just it slows everything down here. If you have a scripture that I'll do it this time, but I mean I can't do this all the time. It just slows everything down so much. If you want me to look, if you want me to to look at a specific verse, please put it in the live chat so I don't have to go here and there and look it up and you know everybody has to wait. But I'll do it this time. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 19. Just makes it a lot faster and easier if uh, if you have a, a, a uh, yeah, verse 11, God works special, special miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, a couple things there. Okay, again, this is Luke speaking, Paul's best friend. Okay, so of course, Luke is going to put the the best put you know put the best light on Paul for sure okay all right so I mean if my best friend writes a book about me yeah I expect it to be yeah look what look how look how God used Christopher Enoch look look what he did I, take it with a grain of salt okay take it with a grain of salt am I saying that God didn't work miracles no am I saying that God did work miracles by Paul no I'm not I'm just saying Take the book of Acts for what it what it really is. It's a letter, a, a letter from one man who's not a prophet or an apostle to another man who's not a prophet or an apostle about other men. The book of Acts, the author does not does not even claim to be inspired, even in the slightest sense. Okay. This could be true. This may not be true. You gotta understand this. That's the first thing. Okay. As again. You, you look at the book of Acts, how it contradicts other parts of Scripture, and it contradicts even itself, which should tell you the writer of the book of Acts wasn't very careful in making sure everything was 100% accurate. Wasn't very careful. But having said that, let's just assume, let's just assume that this is true. So what? Many people are used by God. Animals, we read that throughout the Tanakh. Animals are used by God sends animals into places, wild animals to do his will. Many people are used of God. A donkey was used of God to speak. That donkey may or may not have been more of a prophet than Paul. At least the donkey spoke a miracle from God. We don't have that specific kind of evidence about Paul. But again, let's just assume what we shouldn't really put much weight on it, but I'm just saying, let's let's what if? What if this is true that special that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul? Yeah, so what does that prove? Jesus himself said in in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23, many, not few, not no, one or two, a little bit, many. Many people will do this, will do miracles in his name. 
yet they will be rejected because of their anomianism, because they are anomians. Depart from me, you anomian. Jesus never denied that they did work miracles. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they cast out evil spirits by you know in the name of Jesus. Yes, they wrote they wrought many mighty works and many mighty miracles by the name of Jesus. Yes, they even prophesied. Jesus even spoke through them. God even speak, spoke through them. Jesus didn't deny that. It proves absolutely nothing apart from the fact that God used them. Praise God that God worked miracles, but what does it prove about the vessel that God chose? It just, it just proved that God used that particular person or thing, okay, uh, or animal to, uh, to work a miracle. A few decades ago, my ex-pastor was on a TV show, a talk show, about this kind of thing. Now, this ex-pastor, I'm not going to name him, but my ex-pastor was a, was a worldwide famous evangelist that would go around working miracles, laying hands on people. These people would be healed. They would fall over. They would do all kinds of stuff. Lots of miracles, lots of different miracles, lots. Much of what you, what you read in the book of Acts. This particular talk show also had two atheists who posed as evangelists and also went around laying, laying hands on people, and these people would, would also claim to be healed, also claim miracles. It happened. God used atheists to work, to, to work miracles. I'm telling you the truth, okay? God can use anything he wants, anything and anybody and any whatever. I used to, I used to have prayer meetings at my, at my house. I used to have prayer meetings. And there was this one person, and we, uh, we had mighty move of God. I mean, awesome, awesome, um, you know, move of God where, you know, God would, would really show up and a lot of people would be greatly, in, you know, uh, encouraged in the Lord and, and all kinds of wonderful things. And there was this one time we had, I think it was an atheist come, and this atheist would also pray for people. And God would do mighty things. And then the atheist said, hey, look it, look it. You guys are, you guys are just frauds because I don't even believe and look, what, look what's happening here. So what, what is my point? God can use anything, anybody. You don't have to be anything. You know, just because God uses you or me or anybody else to work miracles does not prove that you are super spiritual, does not prove that you're even saved. That's a totally different topic, salvation. God can use you to, to work miracles, and still you could be rejected in the end, according to Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. So that's what I would say to that uh, Hebrew messianic. Praise God that God worked miracles. If indeed it happened, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. But that doesn't prove anything about whether or not the doctrine of Paul is true or false, or whether or not Paul is even in heaven or hell right now. It doesn't prove anything other than the other than the fact that God used him, just like God God used a donkey, God used atheists, and he did, and he will, and he is using atheists. By the way, thank you for your 
reference Hebrew Messianic. I just see here on the corner of my eye, uh, Tammy says, Shalom all. Shalom, Tammy. Welcome. Good to see you. Shabbat Shalom. Vita asks a question. If men lives in laws that Elohim, uh, he gave us, um, then you don't need Yeshua. That is what I heard. Why you need Yeshua? Very good question, uh, Vita. Uh, this is something that I... Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 when Moses himself prophesied of what I believe was Yeshua. You know, the prophet is coming after me. You should listen to this prophet. You, you know, should go by what he says. So we need him, number one, to, to clarify the Torah, which he did in many ways. He, he clarified the Torah. We need him uh, to, to be an example for us. I mean, he is the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate example. You know, back in the... Uh, Early 90s, about 25 years ago or so, there was this big thing going around like WWJD. I think you probably can even still buy bracelets and necklaces and all these other things. WWJD, what would Jesus do? If you're ever in a, you know, if there's ever a question about what you should do or shouldn't do, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Obey Torah. You know, so we need Jesus as a, a, as a rabbi. We need Jesus as a prophet. We need Jesus as an example. But Jesus himself said, Yeshua himself said, I don't come for the righteous. I come for the sinners to call them to repentance. So what does that mean? To me, that means Yeshua himself said, listen, the righteous, don't, they don't need me. They're already righteous. Somebody might say, well, there are, there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, that's, that's what Paul misquoted, by the way. It's a misquote of Paul. Um, there are righteous people. Even within the, in the uh, Gospels, in the book of or the, uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we have Simeon from the temple. In the temple, it says he was a righteous man. We have Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, were both righteous, walking in all the commandments. Um they were both, they were, there's three people right there, just within the first two chapters of Luke. Three people that were deemed righteous. This is even before Jesus was born. Who can go to them and, who, who can go to them and say, oh, uh, you guys, I know God says you're righteous and that you obey all the commands, but really you're not righteous. <laughs> you need Jesus. No, that that's why we need Jesus. And, and if we're caught up, like if someone, if someone is caught up in a sin that is so very difficult to break, I mean, for the most part, and especially the minor sins, they're easily they're easy to repent of. They're easy to um, uh, they're easy to turn away from. Okay, you, you can stop doing certain things quite easily, but some things are hard. Some addictions are hard. To break. And in that case, I would say you need Yeshua to help you to break that by putting your faith in the cross and identifying with the crucifixion. I am crucified with Christ. Uh, you are risen with Christ. You identify with that. You connect with that spiritually. That helps you to repent. That gives you the power uh, and the faith to, to turn from your sin to do what's right. And so that is the best of, you know, that's that's really how we 
we obtain all of the worth of the crucifixion, all of the, um, you ba basically you get, you get the entire, you, you get the crucifixion for all it's worth. It's not just um, an excuse to sin, but it's an example. And it's something you can, you can connect with by faith. And that will help you die to sin and live to God by obeying his commands. So yes, uh, Yeshua is a great example. And he preaches and teaches the Torah. And, um, and he helps us by faith to overcome uh, all sin and all of that kind of slavery. Uh, that is why... Uh, a lot of people. Again, not everyone, but a lot of. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look. I would not look at a newborn baby and say that baby needs Jesus, man. That need no. Not everyone, but some people do. Very, very good question, Vita. Thank you for asking. Awesome. Thank you for asking the question. I see here. Just I know it's not addressed to me, but Kenneth says. Uh, David Koresh never claimed to be Jesus. Just a, just a Messiah type. This is quite a. This is. I would not assume something like this, Kenneth, because I have seen the video where he did. I've seen the video. Uh, it's not, <laughs> it shouldn't be hard to find. You can find it. it, it, it he, he said, I am Jesus. I'm not saying this. I'm saying, I saw the video, okay? And to say he never claimed to be Jesus, that's that's a, a great it's very arrogant, actually, because what you're what you're saying is, I know ev I know everything. I know exactly what he said in every closet in, in all of his life. I I know it all. I've got a transcript of everything he's ever said. No, you don't. You cannot say that he never claimed to be Jesus. Number one, because he did, and it's on video, and you can find that video. Number two, don't ever say that. <laughs> That's something, uh, unless you have a transcript of everything he's ever taught and everything he's ever said in private and in public, you shouldn't say that. Cat, cool. Matthew, since we know we are we are not saved by simply belief, what does John 3.16 mean? Again, John is the worst of all the Gospels. Again, there are a lot of things that the Gospel of John says that is absolutely uh, questionable to say the least and wrong to say the most. Okay. There's a lot of things. Okay. So, uh, never, I would, I would, I would advise never ever stake your soul on anything. The gospel of John says, uh, for that matter. I mean, I have made, uh, several videos so far about a lot of the different problems in the book of John. There is a lot of problems. There's a lot of contradictions. There's a lot of things that are said, a lot of good questions that we should ask about the Gospel of John that has not never been answered and indeed never can be answered. The only way we can answer them is to say, hey, John must be wrong or the author of John must be wrong. Again, I would, I would highly recommend taking it with a grain of salt. Let's just assume that John 3.16 is true. The word belief, he who believes in him, the word belief in the Hebrew, uh, faith or pistis, belief is is synonymous or is is a twin sister, if you will, of obedience. Okay, because you go just tw uh, twenty verses after that in John three thirty six, you've got the opposite: those who do not obey, the wrath of God abides on him. 
that word, that phrase, do not obey or do not believe. Some translations say do not believe. Some translations say do not obey. Either one, uh, it means the same thing in the original. Uh, let me just let me just clarify here. It doesn't literally mean the same thing, but it 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 it's, it denotes the same thing. Okay. For example, I make this example. If you're standing on the street corner and you're saying, I believe in, in, in helping little old ladies across the street, yet there are hundreds of little old ladies crossing the street. Perhaps there's a little old lady conference down the way, okay? And there's a hundred, you got hundreds of little old, little old ladies walking across the street and you're just standing there going, I believe in, in helping little old ladies across the street, but you do nothing, nothing. You never lift a finger to help. So that's not really belief. That's not really, that's not really pistis. That's not really faith. That's just words. That's just in maybe in your head, but that's not really doing, that's not real belief. So to really believe in Jesus again is to go by his teachings, i.e. Torah, and to follow his example, i.e. Torah. Thank you again for asking Cat Cool. Great question. Thank you. Yeah, fearfully confident. Um, Paul says about the Jews being, yeah, it's like you might as well just cut the whole thing off. Yeah, it's, yeah, a very, very, um, a very, very controversial and questionable thing again that Paul said there. This is another very good question from Fearfully Confident. Fearfully Confident says, when Christians say that I don't believe in the finished work of the cross, uh, where does this come from? Is it their pastors? Very good. Okay. Very good question, fearfully confident. So the whole thing about the finished work of the cross is another one of these cliches that come from the Christian world. And it's based upon, I believe it's the Gospel of John. Again, speaking about the Gospel of John, again, a lot of questionable things comes from the Gospel of John. But let's just, let me just, um, just want to double check here. Yeah, it is the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30 where Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Whoops, there it is right there. In John 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, it says, it is finished, bowed his head, gave up his spirit. Um, so someone takes that one phrase, the Gospel of John, they say at least 93% of the Gospel of John is nowhere to be found in any of the other Gospels. Why? Did Matthew, Mark, and Luke forget about it? Did they know about this stuff, but they didn't put it down because they didn't think it was important? Why? Or was it made up? Most scholars would tell you that the Gospel of John was written at the earliest. It was written like 10, at least a decade or more than that after the last of the Synoptic Gospels were written. Depending on who you talk to, some uh, scholars believe even the Gospel of John was written in the late second century, as late as that. Um, nevertheless, it was the last of all the Gospels that were written. My point is this. Phrases like this, it is finished. If this is so important for everybody to know, why did Matthew not write it? Why didn't Mark not even mention it? Why did Luke not mention it at all? If it was even said, if if it was if it's even true, um, so 
When Jesus says, it is finished, if he said that, which is very questionable, probably didn't, but let's just say again, let's just say for the sake of argument that he did. What does that mean? All that means is I'm about to die. That's all it means. How do I know? Because in 2 Timothy, that's the same phraseology that Paul used in talking about his death. I have finished the course and run the race. It is the, it's the same thing, meaning basically I'm about to kick the bucket. That's about, that's, it's the same word, actually, in the Greek. I believe it's teleo, teleo if I can remember correctly. Um, yeah, it is, teleo, yeah. And so in the Greek, it's teleo, and the way that Paul used this word as well, at least the way it's used in 2 Timothy it means the you know the end. It's the it's basically today's language. You would say this: I'm about to kick, I'm I'm going to kick the bucket. I'm about to kick the bucket. Okay, it's that kind of phraseology. So when Jesus said "it is finished," which I don't think he probably I don't think he said that, but if he did, that's what he meant. He just meant I'm about to die. That's it. That's it. So modern corrupt Christianity takes that one phrase, it is finished, and they build a whole entire doctrine around it. So if it's so important, why is it, why is it not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? And they, they totally don't understand the way that that word is used in, you know, in, uh, in, in its cultural context. And with Paul, they don't understand that at all. So they, oh, the finished work of the cross, because Jesus said it is finished. That means it's all done. He did everything. The, the, the plan of salvation is finished. Jesus purchased salvation for everyone by his blood. It is finished. Done. No more to add to it. Couldn't be more wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. Even Paul said himself, here we are, here, we, here I go again. Even Paul said in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if, if uh, salvation ended with the cross, we're all dead, we're done. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Without the resurrection, your faith is vain. That's what Paul said, summarized. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So finished work of the cross Nonsense. Nonsense. Far from finished. Far from finished. It is one step, one chapter in the book of salvation at the most. And so, yes, it, it, is, it is from the pastors. It is from the pastors who, uh, who hear that from their, uh, from their peers And so, uh, you know, it's, it's just, again, it's a parroted cliche in this cliche Christianity that's plaguing the church today. Again, thank you for, your, for bringing that up there, Fearfully Confident. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. David says uh, that is called Pollyanity. Yeah, I say it, Pollyanity because they base their doctrine on Paul more than Jesus. What? They base their doctrine on Paul more than Christ. Why should they call themselves Christians, Christians? They should call themselves Paulians. Call it for what it is. Yashar, Yehuda. 
uh, why does Yah hate Esau? Uh, Malachi 3, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It's a very good question. It's one of these questions that's difficult to answer because this is something that God just chose to do before Esau was even born. God chose to do it in, you know, in his divine wisdom and all of his knowledge. He, 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 uh, it's like, why, why did he have to raise Pharaoh up just to throw him down? Why, why did he choose Pharaoh um, to show his power in him by basically destroying him and, his, and everything, everything he has, basically? Um, it's, the same kind of, it's the same kind of thing. God, God doesn't think like humans think. God does not think like humans think. Um, he can choose one person to be a vessel of mercy, another ver person to be a vessel of wrath. In Esau's case, he chose Esau to be a vessel of wrath. Um, there's really no more I can say about it. it was, it's just it's God's it's God's choice. He chose to do it, and. Uh, I don't believe he really said anything very clear about exactly why he chose to do it, but it was his choice. It's God's choice. Thank you for asking, Yashar. Fearfully confident. Christians think we question Paul because he teaches against the obedience to God. They love their version of Paul because it excuses their disobedience. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yashar. Uh, what ver what people group makes up the fourth beast in Daniel two forty? Again, um, if you guys can actually quote the verse in in the live chat, it would it would save some time here. Um, you know, sorry, uh, Yashar. The last the last verse of uh, Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy two verse thirty seven. So um, to answer your, your question specifically, there is no Daniel 240. Um, sorry, Yashar. Yashar, another good question. Another good question from Yashar. Who are those that say they are Jews and are not in Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9? So... Very good question. Now, this is, is not specific. It, we, we don't have a specific answer in the scriptures on that. We can just speculate. So I believe that those who say they are Jews and are not are actually Christians who believe that they are saved, but they're not. Christians who believe that they are part of the new covenant, but they're not. And I think that that makes up a lot of people today, even though they don't literally say like they don't they don't say literally I am a Jew, uh, but again it goes it goes into the definition of what a Jew is like what is what is it what does it really mean to be a Jew? Now some people believe that if you are um, if you're saved that is that's being a Jew basically, uh, and I know there are a lot of different de definitions of that you guys know that but. Uh, I think that's basically the idea is people who say that they are part of the covenant, uh, they say that they are they are part of they are part of the pe the people of God, but they're really not. 
Thanks again, Yashar. I think that that really covers a lot of the church today, to be honest with you. Perfectly confident when they handed him, that would be Yeshua, the scroll of Isaiah. What part of Isaiah did he read? Does it say? It doesn't say, uh, I mean, it does quote the part that he read. It doesn't actually give you like chapter and verse, but I do believe it is Isaiah 61, if my memory serves me correctly. Yes, it is. Isaiah uh, 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, in, in, um, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, you'll notice that it ends there. It, it doesn't, um, according to Luke chapter 4, it, uh, Yeshua did not complete the rest of that verse. Uh, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now, it could be just, um, it could be just uh, oversight by Luke that he didn't record that. Um, you know, again, Luke is not claiming to be super, super uh, accurate in everything he says. Um, probably wasn't even an eyewitness of any of this stuff. Uh, he just quoted from his sources. So it could be that they just didn't include that just because it was a, an oversight, whatever. Uh, some people speculate that, that uh, Jesus didn't go into talking about the day of the vengeance of our God because that is yet to come. That's something that is in the future. Thank you, Fearfully Confident. Yes, sir. How many laws from Torah are still required to be kept today? I cannot give you a count, I, I, you know, and I don't believe that it's, it's good to count them and to enumerate them like that um, because God didn't, okay? God didn't count them. He didn't say, okay, you guys... You know, here's 613 laws, you know, the famous 613, which probably is inaccurate. Even in, even amongst the Jewish scholars, they they a lot of them disagree with that number. Um, so God didn't count them. So why should we? Here's the idea. We do as much as, as we can, as much as according to our understanding and according, according to our um, according to our abilities, according to our knowledge according to, you know, according to our understanding. So the idea is, um, you know, for a Gentile, for, per se, someone who doesn't know about the Torah at all, doesn't know about the Lord at all, um, they are required to, to obey the four laws of Isaiah, or excuse me, Acts chapter 15, the four laws of Acts chapter 15. Uh, of course, the Ten Commandments would come into play as well. Um, and... The idea is that's just that's just to get your foot in the door, so to speak. That's just to get your foot in the door of the synagogue, so to speak, right? Uh, the idea is the more you learn, the more you, that's expected of you, right? Too much is given, much is required. So, um, you know, to, to, to lump all these laws on ignorant Gentiles all at once, like to lump hundreds of them or whatever, on, on them all at once is too much for, for them to bear. And yes, it is. Uh, so it's just to be, you know, God is is easy when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, he, he expects you to obey as much as you, as much as you know, and as much as you, uh, 
um, as much as you're able to obey and no more than that. I, I say this often, I'll say it again. Uh, the Torah is very much like the law of the land, like men's law, so to speak. Um, if, you, if you were to go to somebody in, in America today and say, excuse me, how many laws do, you, do, do I have to obey? I don't think anybody can give you an answer. Even lawyers can't even give you an answer of how many laws of, the, of American law you are to obey or any country for that matter. Holland or, you know, India or any any other country you're from, Australia, wherever you are, uh, you, you go to someone on the street, excuse me, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing you. Uh, uh, how many laws are required for me to obey? I'm visiting this country right now. I don't, I don't even think lawyers can give you the answer to that. The idea is just in the, it's the exact same um, application of the Torah. It's like, well, you have a basic knowledge of the law. You have a basic understanding. You have conscience. Just obey what you know. And, you know, as you learn, obey. As you learn, obey. It's the best way to put it. And it's not hard. It's really, it's really not hard. Thank you for asking, Yashar. Another very good question. Jamie says, can we talk about Galatians 4, what it teaches and what and what uh, you may or may not affirm about what it says? Can you ask me a specific question about that? Ask me a specific question and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll address it. Yashar asked the question, why do you use English translation for Mashiach Yahusha, Jesus? Um. Well, because most people under, most people know him as Jesus. That's really the only reason why I say Jesus. Most people know him as Jesus. Um, a lot of people know me as Chris. I prefer Christopher, but a lot of people know me as Chris. So, you know, I don't think that he's got a chip on his shoulder. I don't think that he's that much of a stickler. It's like, you must pronounce it right. Because every every language of every you know every language of the earth pronounces his name differently and even within the languages you know any said language of the you know of mankind there are different dialects that pronounce his name differently so whether it's isa or jesus or yeshu or yeshua or yahusha i think yahusha is actually a very poor rendition of it to be honest with you Jesus is even worse, but um, I understand how Jesus came about, right? I understand the the the. I understand. I, I believe I understand how Yahusha came about too. I think it's a. I think it's an invention of uh, of a modern um, Hebrew roots leader, by the way. But um, but yeah, so it doesn't matter uh, to me. If you call me Chris or Chris or Christopher or Christopher or <laughs> there's lots of different ways to pronounce my name. There's lots of different people, lots of different ways you can address me. I answer to all of them as long as they're half decently respectful. Sure, I'll answer to them. I think that uh, Yeshua or Yahusha, Yahusha, who, whatever you want to say. I mean, I'm not a stickler on that. I don't believe that he's a stickler on that as well. Uh, I believe that in his day, According to history, historically speaking, you look at the historical documents, the extra biblical historical documents, he, he, 
people probably called him Yeshu. Not Yeshua, not Yahawashah, not Yom, and all these other ones. Uh, historically speaking, that's what we have. There was a lot of people that were called Yeshu in those days, short for Yeshua, just like Josh, short for Joshua. You know, we got Yeshu in the Greek. The Greek always likes to add, not always, but in some case, in many cases, likes to add the S at the end, right? Marcus, Lucas, Matthias, Ananias, you know, and on and on it goes, right? Elias, speaking about Elijah, Elias. Um, so the Greek naming conventions add the S on the end. So Yesu, Yeshu became Yesus. And Yesus, over the period of hundreds of years, um, Yesus, 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 and then there became a... Um, you know, then the, the the letter J came in after a while, and they they instead of going Jesus or Jesus, uh, they they made it a J. Jesus, 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 and it just eventually became Jesus. So it evolved from Yeshu to Jesus to Jesus. Uh, so yeah, again, I'm not a stickler on that. I don't, I don't, I'm not a sacred namer. I don't think, I don't think that we should be picky. Get our nose out of joint because of one way or another. I understand. I believe he understands uh, who you're re referring to. So that's the reason why. Um, Yashar. And geez, in, uh, I'm Jesse Garon. Garon um, says, How does it tie into 10 9 though? Um, I'm sorry, Jesse, but could you please give me. Uh, we we spoke about many different books. Can you can you give me a book and uh, help me uh, remind me what we're, what the context is here? Uh, and put at Christopher if you would please, and then I'll, I can address it. I'm sorry, it's just we talked about so many different books. We referenced so many different books. I'm not sure which book you're referring to when it comes to ten nine. HP, I'm I'm just wondering why there why are there laws pertaining to converts if conversion is unnecessary? when you are Torah obedient. Am I just misunderstanding something? Thank you. Um, okay, if I can, just wondering why are there laws pertaining to converts if conversion is unnecessary? I'm trying to understand the question. So I believe you're talking about Acts chapter 15 and the laws pertaining to converts there. So, if that's the case, it's not that the Gentiles have already converted. That's not the that's not the the context. The context is the Gentiles want to convert. How do they? What do they have to do? Uh, so, yeah. So, what do they have to do to be Torah obedient? That is that's the whole thing. That's the laws that are pertaining to converts. Um, so. Um, yeah, I hope that helps HP, and I hope I'm understanding that correctly. Um, yeah, that's that's how uh, I understand you're talking about Acts chapter 15. Thank you for asking, HP. Very good question. Fearfully confident I cast a demon from my home. Should I now write some epistles? I mean... That that was such that was a special miracle. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, miracles don't mean. Um, uh, praise God for miracles. Praise God for 
whomever or whatever. God can, you know, God can use a, a bug <laughs> to, 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 to produce miracles. He can. He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, so yeah, um, praise God. Praise God for that. But it doesn't prove that the vessel that he uses is perfect. That's for sure. Very good. Fearfully confident. Jamie says God, or Paul did not say anything opposed to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, I didn't say he did. I mean, so I'm not sure what you're referring to. He certainly misquoted it. He certainly cut up everything and and misquoted it. Um, he certainly didn't quote it in its context and and what it, what it really says, definitely. But yeah, so I'm not sure what you're getting at. When Jamie says Galatians six six and First Corinthians seven nineteen. There is a little bit in Galatians that's that's good. Galatians. Okay, let me just pull this up. Galatians chapter 6. Okay, let me share the screen here. On the left-hand side, you have Galatians 6, verse 6 up here, and uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 19. Um, so Galatians 6, 6, let, let him who is taught in the, in the word share all good things with him who teaches. Um, so first Corinthians seven, nine, seven, 19 is complete. Uh, I don't see what that has to do with Galatians six, six, nothing. I see absolutely no connection at all here at all. Um, no, no connection at all. I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's, I don't see any, I don't even see us, a hint of connection in there, Jamie. Thank you for pointing that out, though. Will Sr., a question that rises often is being intimate with your spouse on Sabbath a sin? I don't believe so. No, I don't. I would not say so. Will, I understand that even some Jews, uh, they specifically, uh, for the purpose of, uh, you know, of, uh, um, Procreation, they specifically uh, target the Sabbaths uh, for that. So, yeah, I know that there would be different. Um, I understand there are different uh, interpretations and points of view on that. As far as I see where I am now, I, I don't see that being a sin at all. No. Jamie says, uh, read, read Talmud Yoma 39b, the scarlet thread never turned white after 31 AD. The goat for Yahweh or Yahuwah came up in the left hand 40 years in a row. The rabbis say this. Very, very interesting. Very interesting indeed, Jamie. Thank you for pointing that out. Actually, I'm going to make a note of that. Okay. Fearfully confident. I believe Jesse is talking about Romans 9 or 10, 9 when we were discussing 10 verses 6 to 8, comparing to uh, De Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 14, I believe it was. You know, Romans 10, 9, uh, just confess Jesus as Lord and um, believe in your heart. Okay, let me just pull that up. Yeah, so I'll start with verse 8. So Romans 10, verse 8. 
but what does it say? That's what it, which is uh, Deuteronomy 30. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That it, again, see, again, um, Paul failed to quote the rest of that, the rest of the, even that sentence, basically, that you may obey it, right? So he failed to quote that, as he always did in, in the previous um, the previous verses. That is the word of faith, which we preach. See, so Paul is selective here in what he quotes. He, he doesn't quote anything about obedience because he wants to, he wants to contrast that with faith. Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you and in your heart. Okay, so come on, Paul, quote the rest of it, quote the rest of it, so that you may obey it. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or the Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you may be saved. Yeah. So, yeah, I, this is this is the typical e easy believism of, of uh, Paul's letters. You know, all you have to do is just just uh, say Jesus is Lord and um, believe that God raised him from the dead. <laughs> um, so lots of people. If this is the case, I mean, everybody's saved, almost everybody, you know, because you got everybody and their brother and, you know, and their and their dog pretty much uh, confesses Jesus is Lord and believe and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. I would even say, I would even go so far as to say what James said. So wouldn't even the demons themselves, the e evil spirits themselves know that Jesus is Lord? Would they, would they not even know that, would, wouldn't they even acknowledge that God raised him from the dead? So, yeah, it's, it's easy believism based upon, based upon Paul's letters. Yeah, and so, I mean, just to go back to, because we're on this topic here, just to go back to Jesse's question, how does it tie into 10.9, though? Um, yeah, so, I mean, Paul is difficult to understand at the very least and wrong in some places, if not many places. Um, I like what Dr. Staples says, that Paul is a better thinker than he is a writer. Um and then he is an, an author, so he, he he thought better than he wrote, according to him. Um, and but you know it's Romans ten nine that that really spoils. It's the fox that spoils the vine, basically, because it's it's things like that that really um, support antinomianism, support you know uh, these this the lawless doctrine and gospel as uh, as most people know it another question from timothy's work mention when you mention the righteous there is one really large group to add 144k and in their mouth was was found no guile uh, for they were without fault before the throne of god yeah yeah they were, they were righteous as well, for sure. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Timothy's work. Fearfully confident. Why do you think Christians are allergic to being Bereans? I think there's a number of different reasons. I think that some of them are not competent. They're not competent enough to, 
to study, to think that way. They, they don't, uh, you know, they have very poor critical thinking skills. Um, I think another part of it, or at least another, another reason would be because they're afraid to. Uh, they're afraid to question Paul because they stake their soul upon what they believe Paul said. So they're afraid to question that. Um, no, another one, too, another reason would be is because they are very ignorant of the Tanakh. They have studied Paul's letters and the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, more than the Tanakh. You know, the only thing they know about Tanakh is their favorite little, you know, pet verses, you know. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, the plans for pro to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, you know, all these kind of pet, you know, Psalm 23, you know, all these pet verses that they have and pet passages that they have from, oh yeah, and the Aaronic blessing for sure, right? You know, Numbers chapter six, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. A lot of Christians, they love that, and they, they quote that all the time. They even pray that. They even sing about it. You know, that song, that new song, relatively new song, The Blessing. Um, and these are the same Christians that say, the Torah is not for us. The Torah is, the Torah is only for the Jews. Oh, the Torah, the Torah is done away with. Uh, do you realize that the blessing that you just prayed for, is also, it, that's Torah? Um, so, yeah. I think that they're... They're very unaware. They're very uneducated when it comes to the Torah. They don't know. How, the only thing they know about the Torah is what their pastors tell them, you know, what their leaders tell them, which those leaders have not really been Bereans either. They only go by what their leaders have told them and so on and so forth. It's really just a, a lot of pollution that has been picked up down downstream, so to speak, as as time went on. So. They're afraid because they know that as soon as they start being like Bereans, they are going to be in trouble because their house of cards doctrine will fall quite easily if they do that. Fear and pride, that's why. Thank you for asking, Fearfully Confident. Very good one. Going nowhere, do you think Adam and Eve, their children, etc., were Neanderthals or some other kind of archaic human species? No, I don't think so. No, I don't. I believe that humans can only reproduce humans. Okay, I'm at the bottom of the list here of all the questions that were directed toward me. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up very soon here. If you did submit a question that I did not get to, uh, please submit it now or... Not forever hold your peace, but at least for today, because we'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow, uh, Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back uh, to share uh, the scriptures. We'll be reading from the scriptures and answering, uh, dealing with your questions and your comments as usual. Great deception. Alan says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Camping internet is in and out. Blessings to you all. Awesome. Good to see you, uh, Alan. Hope everything is going well there camping. Good to see you. Blessings on you and yours while you're camping. Fearfully confident. Thank you, Christopher. Enjoy the rest of your Sabbath. You are appreciated. Thank you very much. Fearfully, fearfully confident. You are appreciated as well. Brother Pete says, Shalom all and remember to keep the commandments. Amen. Amen. Very good. Absolutely. 100% for sure. 
going nowhere, do you think it's okay for Christians to believe in other supernatural beings not mentioned in the scriptures? I believe that there are many supernatural beings that are not mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, but categorically speaking, they are. But it means, you know, we got the angels, we have the demons, so to speak, the evil spirits. But yeah. Blake, Shabbat Shalom at the Great Deception. Okay. All right. So thanks again, everyone. Blessings, blessings, blessings. It's been a wonderful Shabbat and lots of great questions and, you know, dipping into the scriptures here and there. I uh, appreciate you all as usual. You guys are awesome. The Lord bless you as always and continue to uh, lead you and guide you and teach you uh, by you know studying the scriptures and following his leading, leading of the Holy Spirit, which leads us into a holy lifestyle. Amen. Amen. Going Nowhere says, I know I say this all the time, but I'm so thankful that you are always answering my questions. means a lot. Thank you so much, Christopher. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, you mean a lot as well, and uh, you, you answer. You asked some really good questions. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Timothy says, "Peace on this holy Sabbath, everyone." Yes, peace multiplied back to you as well. David says, "Shabbat shalom, Shabbat shalom, David." Okay, all right. For those of you who are no, new, excuse me, for those of you who are no, you're in the no, and uh, for those of you who are new, um, we do this every single day by the grace of God. So uh, we do this seven days a week. Um, six of those seven days, we are on 7 p.m. Eastern, that's 7 p.m. New York time. Uh, that's Sunday through Friday. We are, we are on 7 p.m. Eastern live. Uh, and every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. So, by the grace of God, and Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Eastern to read some more of the scripture and to fellowship, answer your questions and your comments and all that good stuff. As always, I pray for each one of you that the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow night.